0: Welcome to the Gold Standard Special Friday Edition, Pecarina Philip Forsberg, Stadium Series Special Edition of the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter
1: at Braden Gall. And my name is Jeremy K. Gover, and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Gover Time.
0: Check him out all over AP Radio as well. Filling in for Adam Vingen, we really appreciate your time. What a magical evening at Bridgestone Arena on Thursday night. We will get to everything that we saw from Pekka from UC Soros, from the game against Dallas, the actual win. We have obviously, unfortunately, rumors about Philip Forsberg dominating conversations about the Predators on a weekend when I'm assuming David Poyle and Sean Henry would prefer us focus on Pekka Rene and an outdoor hockey game. But of course, those silly, silly beat reporters having to break news and do their jobs. Um, so we do have some reports about Philip Forsberg that we've got to address at some point on the show today, I have a, a a question for Nashville Predators fans at the Dallas game and their booing technique and strategies. I'm curious, Gover, about that. Talk to some scouts and some Finnish media at the game. So we'll do a ton of stuff about Pekka, about the win over Dallas, and of course, Philip Forsberg on the show today. We will have to begin with the stadium series, and we will try to define success for Saturday evening in Nashville and what that might look like and how we would sort of define pass-fail f- pass, fail for, for that event. Before we do that, Gober. however, uh, number one, where can people follow you? And number two, Gold Standard is brought to you by who?
1: Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers. And like I said, as I promised, I ate there yesterday. Very, I, it was delicious. It was awesome. And uh, I had a great time. Uh, but uh, they can follow me uh, again. It, it, it's go over time. And then all my work can be found on AP radio. And I believe that was the question. If it was not, then yes, it's going right. to sound really disjointed. Okay, good. Okay. Great. It was, it was uh, the old, it was
0: the old two-parter there. And yeah, uh, that's
1: fine. It just, I, I went reverse order it threw me off for a second, but
0: you yes. handled it as eloquently as Pekka handles the English language, which for me, I, <laughs> and I, I actually mean that because what I find interesting about Pekka we'll get to Pecca, but what I find interesting about him is his sort of simplicity in his grasp of the English language and his delivery delivery of it, where he can just be like, all right, everybody, it's time to sit down now. <laughs> like, like he could just, Oh, it was just, uh, I was awesome. He's just so smooth. And he, even though when he, even when he screws up, he's like, whoops. And you know, like he just has such an eloquent way of delivering a point in a, in a disarming manner. Um, and it's just total Pekka. So we'll get to a lot of Pekka stuff uh, coming up, but go to Jaspers. What did you eat by the way?
1: I started with, well, the first thing, they have, a, they have a two for 20 special right now where you could get an appetizer and an entree, like a lunch Whoop. entree for 20 bucks. And that's what I got. I got the queso and I got the chips and queso. Of course, it was delicious, delicious to start. And then I ended up with, of course, the barbecue sandwich. I had to have it. So oh, okay. uh, I, I, I admit it was Smashburger. There was, there was a couple other nominees. But when I saw the barbecue sandwich was on that list, I had to get it. So <laughs> I got those two things. And let me tell you, the most underrated part coming into that experience was the sweet potato fries. I actually ordered waffle fries thinking it would be regular fries. And when I when the sweet potato fries came out, I was like, all right, I'll you know, I'll just I'll just deal with it. I'm picky eater, but I'll just kinda of deal with Give it. Give it a try. And they were the best thing I had the whole yep. time they were so good. So yeah, yep.
0: they got a little sea salt on them there. Oh, amazing! Yeah, it's it's delicious. Get the ones with the barbecue pulled pork and the red onion and stuff, like in the little the sauces. They make that as an appetizer. Fantastic! But you're right, two for twenty. Go check it out. Great place to watch games. Preds games, home and road, drink specials, beer, burger specials, free parking, all that great stuff. So make sure you're going to Jasper's. Of course, uh, we really appreciate your support. We appreciate their support. Uh, and of course, if you go, feel free to tweet at us uh, at It's go overtime at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports. Check out the YouTube page as well. All right, Stadium Series. Before we get into all the, the drama of Thursday night and Philip Forsberg, let's just quickly sort of set the stage for how we would personally define success as Nashvilleians as hockey fans. Um, you know, what what is success for the stadium series for the city of Nashville, for Predators fans, for, you know, just objectively go over how I know it's a, a nebulous sort of vague question, but, but how would you define success for that experience on Saturday evening?
1: I would define success for Saturday evening of the stadium series as a competitive hockey game. And what I mean by that is obviously the two points would be great. And honestly, uh, if you'd asked me that about an hour ago, before I started thinking through our topics today, I would have said one point in the standings. So you can take an overtime, losing a shootout, whatever it may be. That's success because you're stealing a point. Uh, uh, as Terry Crisp would say, you're stealing a bonus point, right? It's an Eastern conference team. That's already high up on the standings. You're not necessarily, you're not competing with them for a playoff spot because they're an Eastern conference team. And so therefore any points you get are bonus points. Okay. Uh, they won against Florida, which was a which was a steal of two points, I think by any measure, and then and, and on the road, by the way, and then they win against Dallas in the shootout, so they get two of the they get two points, but Dallas got wanted. But so my point is, is, if they can get one point against Tampa in the stadium series, then that equals two points against Dallas, and then therefore you're kind of back, you're kind of pacing them again. But I say competitive game, and that's my true answer, because I think if if Tampa is a heavyweight, which we, I think we would all agree they are, and they are the defending Stanley Cup champion, and they are, and, and you are hosting this massive event in which there's a lot of pomp and circumstance, we talked about that as well on the last podcast, then if you can be competitive, lose 4-3, 3-2, 2-1, one goal game, something like that, maybe an internet, or I guess push comes to shove, I think you could consider the whole thing a success. Because... You're going toe to toe, one of the best in this picturesque environment in a, in a in an event that you're hosting for the first time ever. So I would say that a competitive hockey game.
0: This is why I like working with you, and why I appreciate how in the hockey weeds your brain works. Like you're just <laughs> you're just so focused on hockey, and I love that because my brain goes a complete opposite direction. Because you just said, "Oh, okay." It, you just said in this picturesque setting, and I define success. By it being a picturesque setting, (laughs) like my success, like, yes, you're absolutely right. Like, I don't care personally at all how many points they get. I I think having it be competitive and be close so that the national TV audience pays a little bit more attention to it would be successful. But I think by and large, the weather being good, the ice surface playing well, I think the, the event going off without a hitch, which we in Nashville are very good at producing, generally speaking, um, the, I, I, like I want the stadium to look vibrant and amazing and full and loud. I want the city to look good. I want the game to be, again, I'll take competitive, but a two, nothing win by Tampa don't care. Like I, it, to me, it does not, that, that is not how I am a once in a lifetime moment in the city. We're not going to remember, like if they win six to nothing, we will all, that will be part of the talking point for 15 years. Oh, you remember that? Remember that outdoor game where they stomp Tampa Bay? Like that would be a part of it. But if it's a, you know, if they lose three to one, the 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 thing we will all say. But it's beautiful night and the, and the surface of the ice is is well kept and plays well. Like I don't want any uh, like little minor controversies to overshadow the game. Be it like rain or a bad surface or traffic or people can't get into the stadium because we know Nissan Stadium has these problems. Like I that's I'm more worried about all the other stuff around the game in the building. And, and I'm curious. This is what I'm really curious about. If the Tennessee Titans learn anything about how to present a product <laughs> because the National Predators know how to do that and the Tennessee Titans do not. And so I'm just curious if like again put on a great show, showcase the city and have the event go off smoothly. Have everyone downtown, have a great time. Everyone be raving about it to their friends and family. When they leave to me, my brain goes the opposite direction from hockey. And that's why I enjoy working with
1: you. But I would say though, to counter your point, which is completely valid by the way, especially for the casual hockey fan, right? For a casual sports fan that just wants to go and partake in the environment and the experience then I think you're right on. But for me, if they go out and lose three nothing, whether they look good doing it or not, right? If it's three, if they lose three nothing, there's no chance to celebrate a home goal. There's no, you know, what I'm saying like there's all those different game presentation parts that are so ingrained in a Nashville Predators game. Three, those aren't present, and so therefore, <laughs> yeah, three one, yeah. So therefore, uh, I think the the city can look great, and it can be on full display, and this and all those things can be there. But if you don't put up a fight, then therefore it's all for naught. Maybe not in Nashville, but certainly in the national perspective. And so for me, I would like to see a competitive hockey game because I think even if it's 2-1 to one, or, again, 4-3 or whatever the final score would be, if yeah. it's essentially a one-goal game, and I'm saying essentially because, again, empty net. Empty right, net, really yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if it's essentially a one-goal game and both teams were competitive, I think you have a, you have a, a winning uh, mixture, and I think that's what success is. It's funny. I... I, I'm
0: if, if it's a three one game, but it's not really close. So let's say the Preds, it's three nothing and the Preds score in the third period. Right. And, and, right. It, and it's three one and we get to celebrate the home goal. Let's just say, again, kind of tongue in cheek here. W- what's the national media writing about after that game, though? And, and all the national media is in town. All the game is being credentialed through the NHL and, and it's not like it's not, th- it's not handled by the Preds. This is the same as the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final. They're not handled by the teams, they're handled by the league. And what's interesting to me is what what will be the narrative coming out of the event by the national folks who don't live and breathe Nashville hockey. And to me, that's where, if it's a bad playing sheet. And it just, I'm just using this like hypothetically, if it's a bad playing sheet and the score doesn't really change, it's three, three to one or whatever. The story will be about the weather and how Nashville and the ice didn't work and all that stuff. Now, that's according fair. to, according to the experts, it's all the, the sheet of ice is in great shape. I don't expect them to say anything, <laughs> anything else heading into the game. I'm just, you know, again, if it's pouring down rain and half the fans don't show up, which I, again, don't think will happen, but hypothetically, that would be the lead for every national reporter, not, you know, Hey, lightning collects two points on road against Preds. Like that to me, isn't going to be the story from the national media. It's going to be about how the event goes off. And what I have a feeling is going to happen is because we know the city does such a great job because we know the Preds do such a great job. We can't do anything about the weather, but because they do such a great job of of executing all of this stuff, I think what I want this, this again goes back to how I would personally define it. If the national media is raving about the event in some form or fashion after the game, regardless of outcome, that's to me, puts the entire event successful in it. And we know there's going to be a ton of revenue generated economically for for the downtown market. So uh, again, we can move on, but that's you know, to me, the fact that they, and this will lead us right into the Dallas game, the fact that they beat Dallas, took the two points, now have a five point lead over the Stars after coming from behind three times against Florida, to me, that's what allows me to ignore the scores to some degree on Saturday night is that they collected the four points this week. They quote unquote righted the ship. It's also why I love hockey because you you know that the up and da- ups and downs are coming, and we get to like overreact every week on the show and be like, "Oh, sky is falling!" Oh, now the, the ship is righted, and we go back and forth. And you sort of have to just know that that those ups and downs are coming. But even just again, I know Dallas picked up a point, but a five point lead and the games are basically even now. It, it is sort of a a run to the stretch and. That was a big win for me, and so I don't care as much about the actual outcome. I care far more about the execution of the event. And uh, Dallas, that was a hell of a hockey game. Like I, I know the offense wasn't great for both sides, but UC Sar. And here's the other thing: should we be surprised that UC Saros makes all four saves and 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 keeps them to one goal? Me, Kyle scores the game winner. Like, of course, a couple of finished players <laughs> are, are the starring players on on Pecorine night.
1: Yeah, the fact. By the way, the fact that uh, Granlund got first star, I, I understand he got the shootout winner, and it, that's automatic. I'm, I'm, I get I'm, that, but that's garbage. I'm so, with, I'm so with you. I'm so with you. It's the only reason that game was not four to one in the third period. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, but you know, Soros gets his hundred first career win, putting him eighth overall, moving him past Antti Ranta for most uh, wins ever by a Finnish-born goaltender. And how fitting, of course, that he moves up that chain. Uh, on Pecorino night, who is the winningest finished board goaltender of all time uh, against his jersey retired. So, what's he got like? Yeah, 200,
0: th- 255 more to go or so, something like that. Yeah,
1: some, yeah, yeah. quick math 268 more to go. Yeah, a couple more seasons, a couple more seasons. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the game wasn't this. Well, the first period was amazing, first of all. The first period was full of emotion uh Jano dropped the gloves just like you predicted on the last episode of the pod and uh it was just really it was awesome and it, regardless of whether trident sc- or trident uh, regardless whether Tomasino scores that beautiful goal or not the first period was great the second period was a little bit of a lull and the third period was more of that Dallas suffocating yep. you know defense yep. that they play and uh and so it was made for a little bit of a boring night until probably the end. Uh, overtime was awesome. Very controversial. Well, not controversial, but very uh, ill-timed penalty. Once again, by Graham by the way. What is what, the deal?
0: What? That's, that's like four games in, out of 5 <laughs> taken a questionable <laughs> And he's you, not and that you can kind see of his, player. You can see his head, too. He like looked back, and he was like, did I just do that? Like You could see him going like, what is yes. happening?
1: Uh, but he recalibrated enough to uh, yeah, they okay. killed it off. A tremendous kill, by the way. One minute and 50, I believe it was 54. One minute 54 seconds Caught in the defensive zone, yeah. no penalty killers could change, and they did a tremendous job. So, yep. uh, hats off to them! And again, pulling out the win, uh, Saros stops all four shots in the shootout. Not you know, it's just it was altogether a really great night. And then of course you had the you know retirement and all that stuff, and that was tremendous. So yeah, the the, the win was big against Dallas. I don't like that they gave him a point, but again, if you can get to Tampa, get to the Tampa game on Saturday, yeah. and steal a point there, at least one you. Create you recreate that distance of six points, and then they're not in the rear view by any means because all it takes is a three-game slide by the yep. Preds and a three-game win streak by the Stars to kind of get back in it. But they they needed they need those head-to-head games more than anything, right? And they got it yep. on uh, on Thursday
0: and and a couple of couple of losses by minnesota while while we're at it you know not a terrible yep. thing that happens yep. no so that, know, doesn't, that doesn't hurt i know they're only a point up but they got three games in hand but a, yeah, you know a couple of losses close in the gap a little bit so um that, that that's really all we wanted to talk about as as it pertains to sort of on the ice now we're going to discuss philip forsberg and the trade <laughs> pecka rene of course all that stuff um, question about, about booing etiquette though, real quickly to wrap up our game. I'm, I'm very, oh, yes, good.
1: let's get into this because I'm, we, uh, you sent me this text message at the game and I, I, it took every ounce of discipline to not engage with you right then. So I let, let's, let's hear <laughs> your side and then I'll, I'll okay. get mine.
0: So I don't need to hear an explanation of why people don't love Ryan Suter. Like I know, I, I know what people think he did, which is turn his back and, And he and he was he was a traitor who lied to David Poyle and the Predators like I'm sorry people when they're making millions of dollars and they have to make tens of millions of dollars worth of decisions. Sometimes you don't get to tell everybody everything. It's called a must lie situation. And so I just don't hold it against Ryan Suter for taking a career contract offer from another team 10 years ago. I just don't care. I think Ryan Suter is a great player. I think he was a great player for Nashville, and I think he went on to be have a, a wonderful career in the NHL. But the fact that they boo him every time he touches the puck, and Alexander Radiloff, who might have cost you a playoff series—maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but maybe because he wanted and to derail the franchise and derailed the franchise yes, by defecting because he wanted to go go out and party in Arizona, uh, allegedly, allegedly, and and. And number two, the way he decides to leave the franchise, like, I just don't want to play for you. Like, I don't know how on earth Ryan Suter, who put in so much work for this franchise and just decided, here's the deal. Predators, I'm sorry, I'm on a rant here. You would all take the money. You would all take it. Every single one of you listening right now would take the money. And if I told you I'm going to give you twice as much money and that, whatever, just work with me here. If I told you I'm going to give you a lot more money, but you have to sign the contract now and you can't tell anybody... I guarantee you, you all do it. You all do it, and meanwhile, Ratteloff just gets to skate around Bridgestone Arena with the puck, and no one says a word. Get yourself organized, Smashville. What are you doing?
1: Okay, all so right, I'm, done. I'm done. I feel better. No, run. no, no, you're not done because I'm about to, I'm about to reignite. Here we go. Okay. So the Sooner thing you said, we all know why they boo him, right? You know the the, the deceit to the organization allegedly, and all that stuff, right? Okay. Allegedly. So I have two. Yeah, I have two things to that. Okay. The first thing is. Poyle never throws anybody under the bus ever. I think you would agree with that, Braden, right? His, yeah, his yeah. MO is kind of like, you know, like, well, you know, our whole team needs to play better. When he's asked directly about Duchenne last season or the season before, right? He's like, oh, well, our whole team needs to be better, and there are guys that can do more. It's very veiled. It's very protective bubble-esque uh, language all the time. So for, Suter, Suter, for Poyle to come out, after Suter signs in Minnesota and go on this press conference with all these media people and national and nationally and say pointed daggers. Like he said he was going to do this. We were, we I have it in my notes that he said he was going to do this, his agent. And I met, and we talked about doing this. He said, I would do the, like for him to say, that is a huge statement. Now, you can make it up that he's trying to save face or whatever, that's fine. But my point is is that if 99 times out of 100 he's protecting players when he easily could be like Matt Duchesne needs to play better or what again in that example, whatever, then and he goes to these lengths to throw a player under the bus, like this was what we agreed on, this is what did not happen. I don't understand. That Sound, sounds it, a lot like sour grapes to me. It's fine, but he never <laughs> has that's what I'm saying, he doesn't Throw out well, very Matt, often. Matt, so, okay,
0: Matt Duchesne is on his team. Like He's not going to criticize a guy who works on his team okay, versus a guy that's who plays for another team.
1: Fair, but still, the point is, is that that's just one example. Maybe it's a bad example, but he always protects everybody. And then he did not protect Suter. That's number one. Number two, and this is all the right. second part, okay. is that when the fans booed Suter the first time, I think you can understand that, the very first game back. You Okay, all right. Okay, so that happens. And then Trotz is asked about it after the game, and Trotz specifically says, "I hope you, I hope they keep that up for the rest of his career." That's what he said I, after but- the post game, and so those words resonated <laughs> with everybody and encouraged the whole fan base. Now, admittedly, half the half the arena has no idea those words were said. They're just following along, exactly. and you know they haven't been a minute, right. Exactly. But exactly. but the hardcore fans that have been around a long time since that moment, we'll put it that way. No, the Trotzi said that, and they are it, simply acknowledging okay, this wish right. of their favorite
0: coach. Uh, listen, I you know I'm all for the petty, but get over it. <laughs> get over it. It's been too long. It's been too long. Also, what's interesting? It's and a tradition,
1: do- Brayden. This whole fan base is built on tradition. Three o three. Well, let's chance and all that
0: stuff. Then equal opportunity petty. Boo Rattuloff <laughs> louder. off deserves to be booed louder. Then Suter, that's it, period. Even if every single thing, even if he was completely deceitful and didn't do a professional thing that m- lots of other athletes do, which is say one thing to one boss and then go work for another, which happens in every walk of life in America. if, if Even if he doesn't do that, any of that stuff, like or, or even if he does it as worse as possible, as bad as possible, it's still worse with off You still should be booing off louder. So I make- don't have
1: an argument for that. that, that that's a- true.
0: That part makes no sense to me. I will say that it is unusual for Poyle and Trotz to say those types of things. So I get it. Yes. Also sounds a lot like a jilted ex-boyfriend. Just going to throw that out there. Um,
1: Sure. But there are personality types in this business, right? That are jilted ex-boyfriend types where they'll have no problems. The last head coach. (laughs) Well, yeah, that uh, torts John Tortorella is a guy who who, who, he's, he has no problem speaking bad about players. And so if he had said, I don't know what happened. I have it in my notes. I'm under that. That would make complete sense.
0: I think one of the things you also have to understand about David Poyle, and this also, this is not like an argument for or against what you're saying. This is just sort of a, a, a piece of context about David Poyle, even on the Pecca, because we need to talk about Pekka. The the, the the speech that he gave, I just always find it so interesting how sort of mild-mannered David Poyle is. He's a very sort of, it's not shyness at all. He's just soft-spoken. and but But underneath all of that sort of kind of, approachable and soft exterior is an extraordinarily competitive person. Like he yes. he is. So you have to sort of understand David Poyle that he, he's he, what does it speak softly and carry a big stick? Like that's, that's how David Poyle works. He is a extremely competitive person, but does not display it very often. And, and even in the speech to Pekka, while there were some emotions and he started to tear up a little bit while talking about Pekka's career, like even the buildup, he's just not a, He's not Sean Henry, who's going to go out there and like, or Pete Weber. who's going to go out there and just sort of be a great, you know, flamboyant, inspirational public speaker. Like, that's not what David Poyle does. But he lacks you, charm. But is what saying. man, I say. it, yeah, but man, is he competitive? Like, um, uh, so you have to kind of understand, like, that's that I- I'm surprised it doesn't get the better of him more, the competitive undertone and come, and come out more when he's speaking especially about former players, but you know, you got to play the PR game and be professional. And so again, I think it's fascinating that Suter gets booed by a fan base largely because of two sentences at two different press conferences 10 years ago. And he's still getting booed. Meanwhile, Ratteloff just gets to skate around Bridgestone arena without anything going on. Uh, Jimmy VZ is a, is somebody you should be booing more than Ryan Suter. Like uh, there's, I don't know. Like I, it is what it is. We'll, we'll move on. Get yourself organized, Smashville. Okay. Just
1: be, be equal opportunity petty. Okay. The the best thing to come out of, honestly, other than the booing, whether you believe in that or not, whatever. The the, the best thing to come out of this whole suitor situation is the chant Yossi's better because he ended up being better. <laughs> well, he's way better. That's <laughs> that is the greatest thing that came out of that. I, I again, I'm not not here for it.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> just just do it. Just do it uh do it without the like. I don't, I don't, hypocrisy is not the right word do do it equal opportunity that's all i'm asking um okay. so let's let Pe- peck david poyle was the only guy speaking that had trouble getting through his words for a while yes Talk, talking about drafting pekka and and sort of the biggest diamond they ever found and when he started talking about pekka's his favorite moment in pekka's career was watching him skate around the ice and his teammates urging him on his final game and you and I were both there that night and it was, you know, a lot of allergies that night too. I I will say this. I thought that night was more emotional than Thursday night, to be honest with you. And it's not to take away. It's not to take away from watching a truly great man and player hold his one-year-old son while watching his number rise into the rafters. Like that is an extraordinary thing to witness. But I do think the skate around at the end of the game was, was a little bit more like jerking at the, at the heartstrings
1: it's different because this is a produced piece. Okay. So for there's a stage, there's, yeah, there's a stage built. There's, there's media lighting. There's presenters. Former yeah. players have come in specifically for this. It's not a surprise, right? I mean, his family's there. Like the, when all that is produced, that doesn't take anything away from it. It was amazing. Okay. But it was produced. I think that I, reason I agree with you on the skate around the victory lap, as I called it, uh, the reason that was hit more is because it was organic. Nobody knew if he was going and apparently he didn't, although I don't necessarily believe that, but he didn't <laughs> uh but he nobody knew if he was actually going to retire or not but those who were lucky enough to be in the arena that night shut out or not yeah yeah they they knew that this was probably the last time they were going to be able to guarantee themselves. A send off for Pekka, yep. because when the playoffs started, you know they could be on the road and lose, they could be at home and lose, and then you're that's not the place for it because then right. they've just lost the seat. So it was it was a perfect storm of respect and organic energy, and, and that's and it why it hit so much more on that yep. night as opposed to Thursday.
0: And it happened if you were there. If you he comes out for warmups, and it was one of the loudest. Yeah times I've ever heard that building it was louder than anything on Thursday night for his retirement was the warm-up cheer they're giving him the Pekka Pekka chant in warm-ups while he's taking like warm-up shots and I've talked to Hal Gill about this like they didn't really prepare anything that night on the broadcast side for Pekka's retirement like last moment or whatever but Hal will admit he's like even during warm-ups I felt like this was different and that we needed to sort of be thinking about this as the game went along and I don't think even the broadcast team went into that game thinking about that so I'm, I'm with you the organic sort of and being on the ice and playing like it just matters more and I think what happened is Pekka and the fans together created that moment and then he delivers yes. the shutout and he's talking to his son and the teammates get involved and like the, I, I agree with you it does not take away from the fact that Shea Weber walks out and the entire place, you know, it was only about half full at the start of it. It was full by the end of it. But right. the fact that Shea Weber walks out and the place goes bonkers like that was that was pretty cool. By the way, Shea Weber looked a, had some strong Jason Sudeikis vibes. Just just putting it out there like, oh, good call. Look, looked a lot like Jason Sudeikis on the video <laughs> video screen. Um, good call. I, I thought it was a, a really nice presentation um, that had the trophies all lined up there that, you know, they they, they raised the banner. I'm still not a huge fan of the the, the glorious song, but whatever. <laughs> it's, it's but it makes fine. sense for the moment. It makes it sense does, for the moment. It does. I, I'm curious. They did announce that they're going to have a bronze statue outside of, of Bridgestone Arena in the Plaza by, by the start of next season. I'm curious if you think the statue is too much. Is the statue the right amount? Does he deserve the statue? I mean, I think he does. But, like, s- statues are a pretty big deal outside stadiums.
1: Yeah, so I think in a, in a way this is kind of Nashville's it's all I, I, I have not reporting this i want to make that very clear okay i'm just it's just pure speculation to me this is kind of Nashville's lobby to get him in the hall of fame
0: ooh i okay? like
1: it so like they raise the raise the number to the rafters but there are there are uh, people that have been raised to the rafters players they raised to the rafters and the numbers been retired that they're not in the hall of fame like around the league, if you, I think there's a, there's a handful, right? So it's so that's not enough, and they do know, I'm sure, that uh, we talked about it in the last podcast. That he's a French Hall of Famer. You can make an argument for him, and you can make an argument against him, and that you know. Uh, so I personally don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I also at the same time would love to see him get the Hall right, of right, Fame. Exactly. So so, uh, but I think this is a way to kind of say, look, he is so important. Yep. That we are going to not only raise this jersey, but we're going to erect a statue. And while all the national media is here in town for the stadium series, and you're here in town for this, we're going to go ahead and make this announcement that we're going to build this thing, as opposed to like doing it a year from now yep. or whatever, and then maybe it gets lost in the shuffle, whatever. So I think this was a lobbying aspect like of this. I, to, I, to, to say, hey, this guy is worthy of the Hall of Fame.
0: I, I can get on board with... Because I think you do like individually based on just his like statistical data compared historically to other goaltenders, we talk about his hall of fame status. He's, he's, he's not Martin Brodeur or Patrick Waugh, or like, he's not these guys that, that automatically get statues. Although some of those guys aren't going to have statues. And, but I do think this is sort of like, it's almost similar to the Forsberg argument. He's not a number one elsewhere, but he's a number one for us. And that's where Pekka, the value of Pekka to this franchise is hard to quantify for another team that's been around for 100 years. It's hard right. to go to the Boston Bruins fans and say, no, you don't understand what Pekka means to this franchise because they've had 12 Pekka And I don't mean right. just in net. I mean, like, in general, just like the t- like the Montreal Canadiens, like, how are you going to how are you going to convince them that Pekka gets a statue
1: when, when you've had Maurice Richard, <laughs> like it's hard to. Yeah. the Yeah. The, yeah. The story, the storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, you can pick, I can name 10 players off the top of my head. That would, right. if you're going to build a statue row, right. Would there be a fight for the 11th? I but, mean, that's but, how many great players they've had.
0: But 40 years from now, when I'm God, hopefully I'm 80 and I'm alive. And I'm telling, <laughs> and I'm telling my grandkids about 2017 you, can't, you cannot talk about the Predators' existence and growth into a modern NHL franchise without 35. And so that's why I'm on. I, I thought it was a little much when I first thought about it, and, and it feels kind of forced relative to the rest of the NHL. But at the same time, it's not forced at all when you, when you sort of narrow your vision and your scope to just the Nashville Predators. So I, I, listen, I'm, it, it's going to make a lot of kids happy to go up and take a picture with Pekka statue. And that's, yes. what, that's what matters.
1: Yeah and and look I remember the first time I went into Det- was it Detroit or Chicago crap anyway one of those original six cities you walk in I'm pretty sure it was Detroit you walk in and uh if it was Detroit there was a Gordie Howe statue a bronze statue in on the concourse of the old arena not the new one maybe it's there now but I'm just saying at the old arena there was a Gordie Howe statue <clears throat> and I remember thinking how many kids have no idea who this is. <laughs> and then I thought, how many of those kids will go look it up? Yep, Yeah. And then that's how you educate the next yep. generation, right? Is your, so for you me, take, I think t- it's or a, you
0: take your kid and you talk to them about it while they're standing right. outside.
1: Yes, know? for sure. If, yeah. And hopefully yep. they care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the thing that I think this gives more than more than the lobbying for the hall of fame. And again, that's pure speculation, but if that's the case more than that, It's the fact that for generations they will learn who this guy is where they might not otherwise. Yeah. Because let's say Saros, for example, let's say he wins 370 wins. Okay. So he wins 370 games in a Pred sweater, overtakes Rene. He's the guy that brings him to a cup, like all this stuff. Okay. Pecorino is not going to be an afterthought, but he wouldn't, excuse me, he wouldn't be forgotten, but he would be an afterthought because Saros is now the guy that everyone's going to remember. Right. But this statue allows fans forever, basically. To come up to it, learn who he is, and understand the beginning of what of the franchise and what this guy did. So I, 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 it's a long winded way of answering your question earlier, Brandon, which is I completely agree that there should be a statue. But I also would say that if Roman Yossi gets his number retired, as we also talked about in the last pod, uh, I don't think there's a statue of him. Yeah, this is my
0: question: is like, can you? Just keep statuing people, no, because you you can't. You've got to sort of have no. a pretty statues is even higher bar than retired numbers, right? Like and
1: so. let's be let's, and let's be real. Roman Yossi, his 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 thing would be a painting because he's so beautiful. So it would be it would do him a disservice to be a
0: statue. It, it would actually be like um, not like a wax museum of his hair, but like there might actually be a replica of his mane. It under glass, like on one of those stands with like some lights, you know, right there next to the catfish tank, if that's even still a thing. So, yeah, maybe, maybe a Madame Trousseau yeah, sculpture. Exactly. Yeah. It'll be bright. Brand- <laughs> sculpture. Um, uh, <laughs> so, I, I do think, uh, it, uh, again, I think, I've, and I've always said this about the Cup Run if they go win a championship, it will be an amazing celebration and a massive party. I'm not sure it will ever match the, the, the same vibe that the city was feeling when we experienced it for the first time, even though it didn't, we didn't win as a city I'm saying we, so uh, again, I've said that all along, like they can win a cup in 2032 and it will be a massive party and there'll be a lot of arrests on Broadway, but it won't feel the same as when we were running around on Broadway at 2 AM after beating Anaheim on game six. And it's just, it's just never going to be that. It's never going to feel that way. Or the pregames for the cup games, three and four, it's just it's never going to feel that way. So um, I agree.
1: And, I, and real quick, I just want to say that I, I thought that since the beginning and I actually did tweet out on a previous Twitter account, which we'll get into here, uh, <laughs> that uh, that I hope fans understand that this feeling. So 2017, this feeling will never return. No, whether they win or not, it will no. never be the same. And so embrace it and really lean into it. Yep. Because you never it's just, it's the first time is always special, especially when it's unexpected. And that, remember, it was unexpected that year. Be
0: present. Be present. <laughs> it is. It's good for parents. It's good for sports fans. It's good for brothers and friends and kids. It, be present. Um, all right. So speaking of I was sitting next to Finnish media at the game. Yes. And I just wanted a quick, quick conversation here. I was I was sitting down next to Vile Toru who is an NHL correspondent for a very large publication in Finland. And I, we just got to talking and I was like, well, how big is, is Pekka really back home? Like what's, and and do like fans, how do fans watch hockey in a, you know, in a, in a national, in like a Finland, in a country that doesn't really have a team to root for per se. And, and he said, listen, Pekka's really big, but he's bigger in Nashville than he is in Finland. And I was a little caught off guard by that, but then I thought about it and, it makes sense when you've got Yari Curry and, you know, all these great players over the course of many, many years, a Rask, that have sort of paved the way for Pekka, even though Pekka might be, is probably the greatest goaltender in Finnish history. Um, but what was interesting is that the Florida Panthers are the most popular team right now in Finland because of all their Finnish talent. That Carolina is pretty popular. Dallas is also popular because of Haskinen, the best defensive player in Finland. But Saros, the best goaltender in Finland, obviously, right now. So, Granland, what he, what he said was Granlund was super popular 10 years ago, that he sort of paved the way for a lot of Finnish players to be interesting. Like, that he grew the NHL in Finland to some degree. And I know there's, you know, Saku Koivu, and, and like, there's a lot of players that came before him, no question. But I, and I didn't realize this, that when Granlund broke in, there's about 30 players in the NHL that are from Finland. That number's doubled now. And mm-hmm. so the, there's a lot more Finnish talent in the NHL. And then he said the NHL has never been more popular in Finland than ever before than right now. And they don't really root for a team, which, I, which makes sense. And I just thought it was interesting to give some perspective about how another country views Nashville, Pekka, and, and the NHL.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. I I would have put Rene up at the top. I would have I would have assumed and guessed that Rene made a lot of headway as far as popularity for the NHL goes in Finland because of the fact that he is their winningest goaltender ever. There was Keprosov before him, but he kind of struggled in Calgary because Calgary wasn't really that good. I know they went to the Cup final, but uh, overall, I was going to say he, did
0: exactly the same thing Pekka did. <laughs> yeah,
1: basically. Uh, but Nashville seemed to be better, and or he seemed to bail them out more. Anyway. But I guess yeah, that's, yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. I guess th- now that you recalibrate my thought, that is kind of a Nashville-centric view of oh well, this guy must be huge because he's so big here, and that's actually not the case um, as as much as we as I would think. But I will say that Grandlin, uh you, you saying that made me think like, well, was he like highly touted out of Finland? Was he like supposed to be like, the next great Yari Curry? Like, what was he supposed to be? And uh, it is interesting. He's actually 17th all time finish born scoring. After only 641 games, and I mean, that's it's pretty impressive. Uh, but the, Finland's had so many legends. you just mentioned Koivu. again, Yari Curry, Hall of Famer, Timo Solani, Hall of Famer, right? Even the, oh, uh, the what can the, I forget Salani? The Solani? The, the, sto- the the storied uh, national predator Olli Jokinen also. There, but. <laughs> but, Kimo, t- Kimo-, t- Kimo teaming in it, right? Kimo teaming yeah yeah. Essa yeah. a five times Stanley Cup champ. So that's they've got a lot of guys. Who could kind of carry that flag for them, and I would have, I would have assumed Rene would be one of them because of his position yeah. and because of how nice a guy he is. But maybe Finland's full of all these nice guys. I don't know.
0: Well, and I, I do think that he, it was because we were in the moment watching the ceremony and sure. seeing the, the the attachment that Nashville has with him that I think he was sort of his response was like, oh, it's not like this. And, and maybe that's not giving him enough credit for how popular he is in Finland and he trust me the guy had nothing negative to say about Pekka Rine um, it, it's interesting I, I always like he, he kind of described Granlund as like the in-between the first generation guys the curry and Solani and then now this I can new see ex- that this new explosion of players where now they've got 60 65 guys in the NHL that Groland Gronland is probably the guy yes. who like kind of bridged the two generations of players and so I, I just thought that was an interesting perspective getting to talk to him. He was asking a lot of questions about Nashville and I was asking a lot of questions about Finland and Ukraine didn't come up, but uh, it was, you know, it was, (laughs) it it was just interesting to get a perspective from across the pond, as they say. And uh, I am curious how other countries watch the NHL that are so hockey centric and so, and so in love with the game. It's sort of like Americans rooting for EPL teams. Like, I don't know how you pick a team other than pick players and Sweden Finland, Norway, Switzerland—like these countries—they root for their players, and then
1: they follow a team that has a lot of them on it, and that makes perfect—that makes perfect sense. So, I will uh, ask this: Is it possible that he downplayed Pekka's importance via a language barrier? Is that possible? I don't think so. I he okay. He, he's pretty, pretty you, good. you talk to him, so you get a better
0: idea. of Pretty decent you know. English, yeah. I mean, there was—trust me, I—I I was the one who was there was more struggles on my end to to follow along, but I think he followed. He he spoke English a lot better than I spoke. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> let's just, right,
1: let's okay. just put it that.
0: Way. No, he was great. He was it was it was a pleasure to talk with him. So uh, I have no idea how to say his publication's name, uh, Ita somat or some so, so, Sanomat or something like that. I will say this: we were talking about. Um, he mentioned the Michigan goal. And, oh yes, and, and we were talking about something because I think Gr- I think Grandland scored a Michigan goal like when he was coming up through the juniors or something. I can't remember what the reference was, but he basically was like, "Oh yeah, so and so did the Michigan goal," and and I, and I my first reaction was, "We've got to come up with a better name for that."
1: I oh, no, I just love the fact that a guy in Finland calls it the Michigan. But, but That's it, my favorite.
0: No, but here's what it is. This is, you know why he was he was dumbing it down for his American audience. That's not what they call it. He was using that term. Oh. He, was, he was using that term because he's talking to me. And there's a Finnish phrase, and I have no clue how to say it. So I'm not going to repeat it, but it basically means air raid. He goes, We call it the air raid. He, we call it the blah, 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 blah. And he goes, It's sort of an indirect trans. He's like, I was like, well, What does that translate to? And he's like, "Um, It's hard to describe, but kind of like air raid. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating because they don't call it, it the, they don't call it the michigan goal which i think is great because it's a stupid name in my in my it is mind, it, yeah so. yeah
1: just because the first guy over here to right, do it was right. played for michigan yeah it's dumb and
0: it, and we happen to have espn television at the time in like the early 90s so it happened to but but again it's, it's i I,
1: I, apl- I applaud this guy for yeah, like even knowing how to dumb it down for <laughs> uh, for you know that's really cool like he, he was like let me translate for my american friend here <laughs> it's the michigan like that's really <laughs> awesome that he wouldn't even know that
0: he goes yeah he scored it it was so casual he's like yeah he scored a michigan goal so he's super popular and i was like <laughs> i was like god we've got to come up with a better name for that and he's like yeah we already have <laughs> so um, all right last last nugget here on the game that will lead us into of course our philip forsberg conversation gold standard reminder brought to you by jaspers the wonderful folks at jaspers jeremy k gover is now a regular at jaspers uh you should go check it out great drink specials for the preds uh preds games home and road free parking three dollars beers and ten dollars smash burgers So go check out jaspers this trade this this portion of philip forsberg trade conversation brought to you by jaspers (laughs) Um, uh, there were six scouts from six different teams at the game now we are three weeks from the trade deadline Those are two teams that are on the bubble in the playoffs. Right. So it's pretty status quo. It makes sense for a lot of scouts to be there. I can report that the Washington Capitals, Boston Bruins, New York Rangers, Vegas Golden Knights, and Florida Panthers were all there. Uh, There was one other one that I could not uh, ascertain, but they were all there. Um, First thought, hilarious that every single one of them is using like an old ballpoint pen to take notes on a piece of paper. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I just thought, legal Oh pad. I just thought you old scouts. You guys are, you guys are so cute. Um, but no, a lot of, a lot of people watching a lot of players and that's no surprise, which brings us to Philip Forsberg and the rumors, a St. Louis beat reporter, of course, tweeting out the day before Pecorine night that they are actively shopping him. And this goes to what I have been saying four months now. And i alluded to it earlier in the show that hockey is a what makes hockey great is how up and down the season can be, how unpredictable it can be. So when you are trying to make massive financial business decisions about your franchise, you sort of have to level out those ups and downs and try to live in the middle. And that's what I have tried to do with my analysis of Philip Forsberg, which is I'm not going to ride the wave when they're first in the Western Conference. I'm not going to ride the downswell when they're when they're losing, you know, 7 out of 10. I'm going to stay right in the middle and try to look three to five years out and try to project the franchise and what is the right decision for this team. I am not surprised that Philip Forsberg is being actively shopped by David Poyle. It does not mean they're going to trade him. It does not mean they're not going to resign him. But I just, it would be bad business for him not to find out how much he could get for Philip Forsberg.
1: So this should come as... excuse me, wow, this should come as no surprise to anybody that Poyle is doing his job, right? He cannot get to deadline day and then be like, you know what, it's not going to happen. Let's uh, let's go ahead and see if we can get some offers because they're not going to be real (laughs) offers, right? (laughs) He needs a baseline. He needs a foundation for those offers. And what better way to get them than weeks away so he can really see what the bar is it's he would be doing his job a disservice to not do this. So to me, this is overblown, but I will also say that Andy Strickland of the blues, the blues uh, media is well-connected throughout the league. So please stop with this whole, Oh, it's a blues reporter. What does he know? He knows a lot and he knows way more <sighs> than you do. So, are so just
0: people are so silly.
1: It's ridiculous. This is not a blogger <laughs> from somebody's couch who covers the team only on TV and has no media access. This is not that person who threw this. Out. This, right, is right. this is Andy Strickland. He's actually not, scooped other people. This is s- not before.
0: this is not Stillman saying that John Heinz should be fired on Saturday if they lose to Tampa Bay, okay?
1: I'm going to veer away from that. I'm just saying that this is a legit Love you, reporter Stillman. saying this. So so let's calm down with that. Second of all is or actually, third of all, I guess, because Poyle doing his due diligence is one. Forsberg is, he can command quite a hefty return, as we've talked about ad nauseum. And I would say that, uh, especially to a contender, I still am on the, I'm going to beat this horse till it's a carcass. This, Forsberg would go to Edmonton or Toronto, and I'm not talking about salary cap implications, just throw that out for a second. Edmonton and Toronto are both desperate, like, like to the core, desperate to win a playoff round. That's where I think he would have the most value and you'd get the most return if you're Nashville. Now, that being said, guess what he also... also needs the baseline for to find out what he could get for him, right? Let's say he's, hey, you know what? We are comfortable with paying him nine and a half million for seven years. Let's just say that's the scenario. But what if we could get this other player over here who's comparable to Forsberg because so-and-so has to dump salary And we're also going to get two first-round picks and maybe a blue-chip prospect for him. And he's on a rookie-level contract. Mm. So therefore, we get salary Mm. cap space. Mm. You get a comparable player, meaning like if Forsberg scores 60 points, this guy gets 50. That's what I mean. okay? And then you're also getting two assets that maybe are trade assets later. Like He has to know multiple things. It's not as simple as are they going to trade him or they're not going to trade him. There's other pieces to this puzzle. And that is what Poyle is trying to do, I would think, by shopping him. So, obviously, they're
0: going to try to get a contract done. As I have told you on the sure. show many times, it is my understanding that they have never really been close, and that's why they're not having really serious at-the-table, quote-unquote, negotiations. I, here's what I kind of think is a perfect scenario. Philip Forsberg breaks David Leguan's all-time scoring record and Victor Arvidson's single season scoring record before the deadline, which is going to be a, he's going to have to go on a tear here in a couple of over the next few weeks, but Forsberg could do it. He breaks both of those records, which I think he needs eight goals to beat Arvidson. And he needs just a handful to, to pass leg one right now as at, at time of taping and they trade him for a boatload of future assets. They still make the playoffs and then when he enters free agency, David Poyle already has a number that he's talked about with his agent. And there's a there's a chance that they have another contract conversation later on. Yes. That to me, if you are trying to get everything that you possibly want, which is you want Forsberg to own the record book. You want to make the playoffs and give yourself a chance to at least you know see what you can do this year. I don't think they're one or two pieces away from winning a cup. To, to be one or two pieces away from winning a cup, you need to be a one seed with one tiny hole. <laughs> they are not that team. And, and so if you can make the playoffs while also getting a ransom back for Forsberg and then still have a chance to maybe negotiate with them, him in the off season, to me, all of that is sort of the perfect scenario for, for the Preds. That might not be how it plays out, but that to me is, is the perfect scenario
1: we have seen a recent uh, maybe it's not recent but to me on my radar it's been recent meaning the last 10 years or so we've seen creative deals at deadlines like for pending ufas of like hey if uh, you know we're going to trade you this player but if he signs with you on the off season we don't owe you a second round pick or whatever it's a condition on the right. on the deal and i can see them definitely having that be a part of the deal is saying okay edmonton or you know whoever right we're going to take your blue chip prospect your top prospect in Bakersfield. We're going to take your first round pick for this next year. And then we're going to take this roster player throw in or whatever. And we're going to give you Forsberg and Grimaldi or whatever. But the condition is we get a, we get an extra second round pick or whatever if he doesn't re-sign with us in the offseason. But if he does, you don't owe us that. Yeah, that is That would be a smart GM way to do things on the opposite side of Poyle, right? Whoever's making this deal with Poyle to build that condition in, because you're right. The best case scenario for Nashville, other than winning a cup outright, of course, is, (laughs) is trade Forsberg, get the King's ransom, resign Forsberg in five months. That's the best case scenario. Because then you get the player you wanted, you get to build around him like you wanted, but you also get the benefits of the, uh, the prospect of the draft that's the assets and and you still make the
0: playoffs probably i mean maybe not right. but but you you have a really good no, chance I think that, to make the uh, playoffs. yeah
1: I think, yeah right
0: so uh, again here's the other thing i couldn't understand like and i don't know if this is like an internet problem a fandom problem I, I realize it's an attention span problem and just an american problem that we have a very difficult time with complex nuanced topics in the media on Twitter, these are not necessarily great forums to discuss. Very, it's why I believe in podcasts because we can sit here and have a forty-five minute conversation about a couple of different topics, change our opinions in the moment, and and try to think through all the different angles in real time. I, I do not understand the the article of like, please God, don't trade Forsberg. Why would you ever do this? I, I read like I saw like six of those on 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 Wednesday and Thursday, and I'm just going, why? What are you? Ta-? Do you not understand how? How sports works and how contracts. Well, if work. If you're
1: reading those, then you're part of the problem, Braden. I, I, had to, I did. I had to you're right. I gave you. him. I gave him a click or two.
0: You're right. That's my bad. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. my bad. I should be have disciplined, done it. my friend. I shouldn't. You're right. Got to be disciplined. Resist the click. You're right. Um, so I don't know. That's just the latest on the Forsberg stuff. I, I am just. I'm shocked that there is shock. Like to your you said, it. like that is David Poyle's job is to find out how much Philip Forsberg is worth and what he can get. He cannot make a decision before he knows what he can get. for Philip, And he
1: needs it as pure as possible. Again, he can't start the day before the deadline and see what his foundation is. He's got to know now. Right. So, yeah, those those pure uncut trade offers. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And what I I will say about (laughs) this is you mentioned you alluded to this earlier, but I wanted to put it in my own articulate way, which is that what are you trying to say? No, I'm trying to say me. I have not said this out loud, but you made me think of it. So uh, I feel good about my thoughts on Forsberg, which is they absolutely should trade him if they can't lock him up by the deadline. And I feel good about it because it was the same opinion when they were doing well, and it was the same opinion when they lost four in a row. Exactly. And it was like, oh, wait a minute, they're running the verge. Maybe they don't make the playoffs. My opinion was the same, which is you got to trade him and get something for him if you don't have him signed long term. Yes.
0: Yeah that that was it, my, that was my first point about you can't you can't base your decision on yes. being up, you can't base your decision on being down, you
1: have to base it in the
0: middle and I totally agree with you. I totally agree. But it you. took
1: but it took you saying that for me to be like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, that's that that's what I meant by articulate it, is that it, you saying that kind of jarred in my head like, "Oh, of course." Like I'm very happy with my I'm at peace yes. with my opinion because it was the same two months ago and it was the same last week when they were in the, the, the doldrums. Well, um,
0: congratulations to Pekka Arena on uh, a ridiculous career, an awesome night at Bridgestone Arena, great win for the Preds. We've got a huge weekend Saturday night. Go out and party, be safe, take an Uber, walk around, get into some trouble, whatever. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, dress warmly. <laughs> uh, go over. I'll see you there on Saturday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yes, sir. I think the stadium floor is going to look really cool. I think it's going to look really vibrant on TV. So let's just hope the weather holds out. The, the, the surface is a good playing surface. There's a competitive game and a lot of people show up in, uh, let's say, happy moods. Let's just say that. So uh, everybody out sounds there, great. where can people follow you, Gover, go and get your work at AP Radio?
1: They can follow me at It's GoverTime on Twitter and uh, GoverJKG if you want to take that extra level on Instagram. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and uh, but AP Radio, if, you're, if your local station subscribes to AP Radio's uh, service, the sports service, then you can hear my work there. Awesome stuff as well. Go to Jaspers as well.
0: we Special, special thanks to all the great folks at Jaspers uh, for all the support that they give this podcast and all you wonderful listeners who have gone out there and visited Jaspers. We love you for it. So thank you guys. Free parking, great drink specials for Preds games. Great menu. Debt Paquette's just crushing it for four-top hospitality. They do an unbelievable job. Local business here in Nashville. So go to Jaspers, everybody. For Jeremy Gover, my name is Braden Gall. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. We'll be back next week to talk more Predators hockey. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.